had two fathers. The good daddy had blue eyes and the bad daddy had green eyes. I only had one father, but he was schizophrenic. So I never knew who would show up. Hey there, and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter. Grit is a weekly podcast about stories, the contemporary personal narrative kind of story and the people that craft and tell them. Now, some weeks, a storyteller will join me here on the podcast and tell one of their stories and then break it down. Other weeks, you will hear stories that we have collected and curated from our weekly events. Today, you will hear two stories by Patricia Coffey and Tina McKenna, who joined us at one of our recent open mics, the Mental Health Happyish Hour. Now, why do we do this? Well, we want to feature these tellers and their stories, but also to help you, our listeners, craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories, personal stories, Great stories. In season one, I was joined here on the podcast by Kurt Mullen. And today is our final episode of season two, which has been dedicated entirely to women and their stories. Season three starts up next week, and we are going to keep that one a surprise. Now, if you'd like to help us out, in addition to listening, let people know about the podcast, especially if they might enjoy it and want to learn more about this art and craft and a favor If you listen on Apple Podcasts, I know I say this a lot, but if you rate or review this podcast, or perhaps even both, it really helps people find it. And we want people to find it. So thanks very much for that. Again, today we've got two stories. First, Patricia Coffey, who lives in Iowa, and then Tina McKenna, who lives in upstate New York. Thank you, ladies, for allowing me to share these two stories on the podcast. Let's dive in. It had been almost a year since that divorce, and he wanted to come and talk to me about my sons. I was in graduate school, and I was uneasy because so far I hadn't done anything or said anything or looked any way that he approved of. And even though we were divorced, I was still in that bind of thinking I had to please him. He came. The boys went to sleep. We went to the little neighborhood bar. It's called the Wagon Wheel. It's by the University of Iowa. And before we got there, I had to change out of my favorite graduate student clothing. You know, thigh high, brightly striped socks with the individual toe pockets. I knew he wouldn't like them. He didn't. He didn't like anything I said or how I looked or those socks. And I gave in. I changed socks and shoes and we walked to that little bar. I was crying. We got there and we took a seat at the booth at the very front by the windows, and I could see across the way that the standard six-pack was seated at the bar. I could see their faces in the mirror. 
it was five men and one woman. And the woman said, all right, you fuckers, if you mess with my drink again, I'm going to beat the shit out of each one of you. And then she gave this terrible grimace, meant, I suppose, for a smile so she could continue to cage drinks. Meanwhile, I have my back to the window. My ex-husband is facing me, and I can see down the way in the booths two couples in one booth, and they're playing the same two songs on the jukebox over and over. I know one of those songs. I've got tears in my ears from lying in my bed on my back, crying tears over you. I know that one. The other one I'm not so familiar with, it's called Let's Get Drunk and Screw. We didn't stay long enough to get drunk. We left, we did screw. And it was another year before I could break out of that and step out on my own in those toe socks to be myself. in a house of uh, mental illness. And the way I survived was I did not reject either my mother or my father. I embraced them and I chose to understand them. I had two fathers. The good daddy had blue eyes and the bad daddy had green eyes. I only had one father, but he was schizophrenic. So I never knew who would show up. And I had an eating disorder. So I would sit at the dinner table and I wouldn't eat. So my dad would turn off the light and I would sit in front of my uneaten dinner till it was time to go to bed. And then he would send me to my room and I would sit on the edge of the bed and he would make me wait a long time. And then he would start, start this long walk down the hall and he wouldn't come into the room. He would just stand just outside the door and he would flick on the light so all you saw was this giant shadow on the wall. And he would just stand there forever breathing. And then he would swing into the doorway and he was huge. He was six foot five. And he would just stare at me. And his gentle blue eyes would slowly turn green. And I would wet myself. And then he would come into the room and he would beat the hell out of me. And then he would stand up and he would shudder and his eyes would turn from that angry green back to blue again. And he would look down at me and he would say, oh my God, Tina, what have I done to you? And I said, it's okay, daddy. I know you don't mean it. And then he would pick me up and put me to bed and he'd sit on the edge of the bed. And then the blue daddy would tell these magical stories. And the plot was always the same. I was always in this incredible peril and he would rescue me. <laughs> 
The only thing that changed was the location. So sometimes I was in the middle of the ocean. There was, you know, flotsam and jetsam, and I, there would be these suspicious fins circling. Other times I would be abandoned in the Himalayas by Sherpas. And other times I would be high up in a tree in the Amazon rainforest while there were acondas slithering about. And just when I couldn't stand it anymore, I'd say, and then, and then daddy. And he said, and then, and then, high in a snowy tour, astride his mighty steed with his blue eyes flashing and his golden hair gleaming in the sun, sat, faint call of the bugle, McKenna of the Mounties. And he would swoop down and he would rescue me every time. Now, I never questioned how we would be in the middle of the ocean and there was that snowy tor or the horse. The only thing that mattered is that he was there to save me. So then he would kiss me on the forehead and leave and I would crawl out of bed and I would go to my closet and I would curl into a ball and I would go to sleep. And that's how I slept for 24 years in my closet. When I went to college, I had to wait till my dorm mates had gone to sleep and then I'd crawl out of the bed and I'd get in the closet and I'd go to sleep and then I'd wake up before everybody else and get back in bed so no one ever knew. When I'm 20, my father decides that uh, he's going to invite death in. So I, uh, I go to the funeral parlor and I tiptoe up to the casket and I look inside. His eyes are closed, so I can't tell if it's the good daddy or the bad daddy. And he's so still that I, I begin to slap him and I say, how could you do this to me? Who's going to rescue me now? A couple years later, I head to New York and when I'm 24, I'm doing a show at an avant-garde theater called Cafe La Mama. It's in the east side, in the East Village in New York City. And we used to rehearse in this abandoned warehouse. It was right next to the firehouse. And there was, there was no heat. And you had to climb up six flights of steel stairs in the dark to this huge empty room. And there was only like a bare light bulb hanging, a chair where the director sat, and this table. So I come in one day to rehearsal. I have this horrible fever. And the director, Ozzy Rodriguez, says, uh, baby, you are burning up. You go lie. Lie on the table over there. And we're just going to work around you. So I go and I'm lying on the table. And uh, I can see my breath. There's not a single pain in the entire room. And I'm shivering. And this man walks over to me. He stands above me. He has green eyes and he takes off his brown trench coat and a navy blue sweater and he, he knots the sweater into the shape of a teddy bear and he puts it into my arms and then he covers me over with his brown trench coat and he doesn't say a word and he just walks away. And under his coat, I fall asleep 
and I begin to dream. And in the dream, I'm sleeping in a closet and there's flames all around me and I, I can't breathe. And I call out and then, and then daddy, and then there's the snowy tour and the lovely man with the green eyes rides up on a horse wearing a brown trench coat. The man wears the trench coat, not the horse. And he pulls me out of the flames and he smothers it with his coat and he rescues me. And he's rescued me for 45 years. And he rescues me when one day I'm screaming and he comes into our bedroom and there's, I'm standing in this pile of, of discarded evening dresses. And, and I say, I've gotten so fat. How can you stand to be seen with me? I, I look like Jabba the Hutt. And he goes, Tina, you do not look like Jabba the Hutt. You're beautiful to me. You will always be beautiful to me. And he's with me every 10 years when I have my dance with cancer. And uh, I bug him completely about, am I going to die? I'm dying, aren't I? And he says, no, Tina, you're not going to die. I'm not going to let you die. But I don't let up. I ask him, we're sitting on the toilet in the shower. When we pull up to a stoplight, I ask him, I wake him up in the middle of the night and I say, I'm dying, aren't I? And each time with infinite patience, without a, a shred of anger, he says, no, Tina, you're not dying. So in our early years, every so often he would throw out that brown trench coat and I would fish it out of the garbage because I needed it until one day I didn't. But I never needed it because it was on that night 45 years ago, under his coat, that was the last night I ever slept in a closet. Now when night falls, I'm embraced by sleep and the man with the green eyes. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support and special thanks to Patricia Coffey and Tina McKenna. Thank you, ladies, for your stories and letting me share them here on The Grit Podcast. Check the show notes for upcoming workshops and events, including the next Mental Health Happiest Hour in late September. And help us out if you would. If you're a listener of this podcast on Apple Rating and reviewing really does help. It helps people find the podcast and we need people to find the podcast. So thank you so much for that. That's all for episode number 45. And season two dedicated entirely to women has come to a close. Season three begins next week. More stories and conversations with storytellers. I hope you can join us. Boom.